you and your good friend get into an argument. And let's say that argument is about money or maybe a girl or a slight that maybe you made. Each of you then create your own narrative as a man as to what you think happened and why you feel that other person is wrong. An argument among friends can become serious or it can be resolved after one of the parties or maybe both agree they're wrong. Now let's elevate the stakes. You're in the drug world and cash and product is flying around the United States and something goes horribly wrong. Or even worse, you realize that those fed boys are coming for you. The stakes of that are immense. And I know for a fact when that happens, each person in that arrangement creates their own narrative and justification as to why they operated the way they did. As it relates to Khalil Abdullah and Jimmy Rosemont, the truth of what happened is anyone's guess. But there are a few things that I do know happened. Khalil decided he would testify against Jimmy in open court. And Khalil, who moved arguably just as much product as Jimmy, is now a free man. I think, I think you said when we hung up that you were going to talk about Khalil and and his his role in all yeah this. yeah i think um khalil um i think uh muhammad and then we can't forget winston harris okay you want to start with no, winston no, no. Or, or khalil um let's talk about khalil okay so Go ahead. so I, I was i was introduced to khalil uh, somewhere around 2005, I believe, or so, by an imam who I met on Rikers Island um, called Imam Wali Farouk. Um, he was a, a, a chaplain on Rikers Island, and, and because I'm Muslim, he, um, me and him got pretty tight. A lot of times, these guys um, needed money for their, um, their mosque and stuff like that, and even... Though I was in jail, I was able to uh, assist them in, in certain ways. Um, so when I came home, um, I, I, I didn't have a problem. Like that was me trying to give back. And I would stay in touch with certain community members because he did a lot for the community also. So I would, uh, I would, I would stay in touch with him. Um, and then he introduced me to Khalil, who had a security firm, um, his his security firm basically was uh, like you know how the, the the urban projects where they have guys, unarmed guys, pretty much patrol the projects and stuff like that. The yep. security firm kind of had those kind of contracts with the city and things like that. So when um. When I was managing game, there were times where I would ask him if he knew um, security guys in certain states that we were going, like legal security guys. Yeah. Sometimes he could assist, sometimes he So we, we pretty much gained the relationship from there. Um, then in 2007, me and him had went to Mecca together. Um, and that was pretty bonding at that that um, when we got back he had came to me and asked me um, 
do I mind and please not to judge him if I put him with somebody in LA that um, might be able to, to sell some uh, marijuana to him. I didn't have really a problem with it because I was like, um, you know, whatever he's doing, he's doing on his own. And and we were pretty much in two different kind of fields. Yeah. Um, so I did introduce him to somebody in Los Angeles that he, he ended up, um, I guess, getting whatever he was getting and doing what he was doing. So me and him kind of got tight after that. Um, he built a relationship with some, you know, my brother and them out in Los Angeles. And um, I pretty much trusted him to a point of where, um, you know, sometimes me and him would have conversations. And like, and look, and like I said before, it wasn't that I never dabbled in the drug business with these guys. The only thing was I never was their leader. So what would happen is, let's just say if he was going to buy something, um, I would say, hey, here's some money. And if you can, um, turn it for me. But I knew he was dealing with the guys that I had put him with in Los Angeles. And so that was the relationship that we pretty much had. And so um, as time went on, you know, he was he started doing his own thing. I, I didn't really know what he was doing because I was traveling so much. I was out of the country most of the time. Or I would be out of New York and sometimes me and him would, would, would have conversations um, when I would be in New York. So when when um, when it started, so I didn't have a problem with telling them, look, man, you got to be careful coming around me because, the, you know, I see that these people are following It's they all over. And I know he was doing what he was doing. I don't know what happened to his security firm because I know from his testimony when he testified that he was, um, he... He had over 300 employees. Um, so I don't really know what ended up happening to that, to how that might have fell apart. But it looked like what he started doing was he was full-time hustling. So occasionally, again, me and him would, would meet up. And so I would tell him, like, look, these guys are all over me. I know you're in the streets like that. Be careful coming around me. I don't want what they're investigating me for to spill over to you guys. So, and I would occasionally tell them about Todd Kaminsky. I didn't have a problem with telling anybody who was investigating. I knew it was Todd Kaminsky only because he was pulling guys down. He was subpoenaing guys. He was subpoenaing um, different music people and they were building their case. And I, I didn't have a problem with it because I wasn't doing anything the time when they were investigating me. You heard it. Jimmy says he dabbled in the drug game. And again, I know this might be parsing things a bit, but the legal system in our country is based on very hard and fast laws that are also based on very strict language. So let me break that down for you. If the federal government charged Jimmy with operating in the drug business the way they charged Khalil or Henry Butler or Tef, Jimmy, Jimmy would most likely have faced 10 to 12 years. That is why, 
That is why the charging mechanism of the CCE charge becomes such a weapon for prosecutors, such a major tool to really give people sentences of life or in upwards of 35 years, or in upwards of 35 years. I've read the court transcripts, and I could say without a shadow of a doubt, the government never proved that Jimmy was a drug kingpin worthy of the CCE charge. Jimmy isn't innocent. I've never stated that. And I know it's hard. Maybe some of you are saying, well, he's a drug dealer, and why should I care what time he got in jail? Well, I would argue you have to care because this is a major issue that our country is currently fighting about as it relates to drug sentencing and the harsh drug laws for dealers. Jimmy, on many occasions, has stated if the government charged him correctly, he would have no problem doing his 10 years for the evidence provided at trial. I'm not a lawyer. But anyone who reads the court transcripts can see that the government overreached when they charged Jimmy. I'm not a lawyer, but anyone who reads the court transcripts can see that the government overreached when they charged <laughs> I'm not a lawyer, but anyone who reads the court I'm not a lawyer, but anyone who reads the court transcripts can see that the government overreached when they charged Jimmy. So, um, obviously he remembered Todd Kaminsky's name. And when it came down to it, when everything started falling apart, for instance, when Black got arrested, Henry Butler, when he was arrested, and there were some other guys who got arrested that was part of his crew that was arrested, he pretty much came up with the bright idea that at the time I didn't know it was only through his testimony that I later found out but uh, he comes up with the bright idea of uh, leaving some money for the for the DEA agent and let them and saying that it's my my money and in turn hoping that they would get off of his track and stay on me um, so he was shipping the guy that I introduced them to, he was shipping them somewhere close to a million eight in cash. What he ended up doing to do a double whammy, he, he robbed the guy, took a million dollars out of it. He left close to 800 or 700,000 in the, in the rehearsal studio. He FedExed a letter to Todd Kaminsky and in his letter he stated, this is the guy in the music business, money, who you're investigating. And then he ended it with good luck. He also sent the same letter to the DEA telling them where the money was at and, and saying that it was mine. Unbeknownst to him, he didn't know that, of course, they're taping it, number one. Number two is when he sent the facts, the number of the place he sent the facts from is on the top of the paper. So his brilliant idea pretty much backfired on him because all they did was trace the number who called them, called the DEA office, and who sent the fact. They went to the Kinko's, and what he did was he went out in Atlanta and went to the Kinko's and he mailed it out. I mean, he faxed it out. 
So they went to the Kinkos in Atlanta and they said, we want to see your, your, your video camera for this time and date. And when they did that, they were like, oh my God, it's Khalil. Khalil Abdullah. Why would he do this to Jim? What we learned later was Khalil, they, they stopped Khalil coming out of his house. He, every morning he would get up and go and work out. He was, he was married to a young lady by the name of Amoy Pitters that he, he got a beauty salon with. So every morning he would work out and then he would go to the beauty salon to check on his money. And um, so they waited for him on his, on his workout routine and they stopped him and they told him, hey, why would you set Jimmy up? And he was like in shock and he was like, why would you think I set Jimmy up? And they said, okay, cut the nonsense. We've seen the videotape. We know it's you who sent the facts to Todd Kaminsky. We want Jimmy. We don't care about you. We want you to wear a Y on Jimmy with a drug, in a drug conversation. According to the government, I was, Khalil was my lieutenant. According to the, to the government. If, if, I, if Khalil was my lieutenant, it would have been no problem for Khalil to come to me and have a drug conversation with me. The reason why Khalil refused to do it was because he couldn't have a drug conversation. I never was having drug conversation with Khalil, either in his face or by way of Blackberry or, or whatever the way they said that me and him was communicating. So he refused to, to take me. He just told them he didn't want to do it. And so they let him stay out for another two weeks. He told them he would think about it, though. And um, after that, they arrested him. So when they arrested him, and then I found out that he was arrested by Todd Kaminsky. You know, that was, of course, a, a red flag again. Because, again, Todd Kaminsky's name kept coming up. And I knew anything to deal with Todd Kaminsky was dealing with me. So I asked um, Jeff Lickman to go to Khalil Abdullah's arraignment. And asked, at the arraignment, Todd Kaminsky read the letter that he wrote to him, stating that the money was mine. And at that point, Jeff Lickman called me and said, Khalil is your snitch. And Khalil is the one who's putting you in this whole situation. I literally, I literally dropped the phone and was in shock that um, Khalil had done and went to the extent to set me up. Jimmy brings up a good point. If Khalil and Jimmy were so intertwined, why wouldn't the DEA try and get Jimmy on a surveillance video or a wiretap. It never happened. Same story with Mohammed Tef Stewart. Tef wore a wire and a hidden camera inside his baseball hat for close to two years. And in those two years, he never captured any audio or video of Jimmy committing a crime. The one wiretap I heard is a call between Jimmy and Tef where Jimmy tells Tef that the feds are investigating him and that Tef should be careful. He doesn't tell Tef to move money or drugs, 
in this day and age, in all of the trials I've watched recently in the Southern and Eastern districts, the government usually has thousands of hours of audio or video at the trial. In Jimmy's case, they had one video from the time that Winston Harris met Jimmy and exchanged one kilo of Coke. One kilo, not a hundred, not a thousand, one kilo worth $37,500. It's odd. It's just odd. So you drop the phone after you hear the news of what Khalil has done. Yeah, so I, I dropped the phone. Jeff Lickman at that point sends me the document that he, that he, uh, that Todd Kaminsky reads into the minutes. And I'm, I, I'm my mouth, and I'm, my mouth is open. I'm just in shock that he set me up to these people in the way that he did. At that point, I pretty much knew that I would definitely be indicted because this is the kind of stuff that they pretty much wanted. So the case only got bigger. You had Henry Butler who was arrested um, from Los Angeles. He's in the Eastern District of New York. You have Khalil Abdullah now who they claim is my lieutenant. Uh, of course, he's going to dump down his role in, in whatever. Um, and all of the blame is on me. The thing that was so it made, was so bewildering to me was that he used close to eight hundred thousand dollars to prove his point to these people. So, and let me mind, let me remind you that never did they have surveillance of me giving money to Khalil, even though he was under surveillance. Never did they find fingerprints of any of the drugs, any any of the drugs that were found. Never did they have a recording of me and Khalil having a conversation in regards to drugs. Most of these guys couldn't even, couldn't even, didn't even know where I live. Also, you know, have a conversation with me in regards to anything. And I would have thought that at least have that kind of evidence if you're going to put a thousand kilos on me. At least have something that warrants a, a thousand kilo charge. At least find me near a shipment or have me talking about a shipment of that large amount or even if it's a hundred So so I'm I'm gonna go into um Winston Harris now because this is how this whole thing kinda intertwined with um Winston at this point. Because after Khalil is gone Winston Harris is a guy who I knew was deeply entrenched with Khalil Abdullah. And, and, and let me just give you some backstory with me and Winston and then go into that whole situation. Winston is a guy that I know since I've been like seven years old. Winston is, is, is from Jamaica. Um, and when I was growing up, most of the guys that I grew up with were either Trinidadian or Jamaican. In the '90s, me and Winston definitely what we were we were um, we would hustle together because I knew him so long. I always trusted Winston. So when Winston got arrested in the '90s, he ended up doing I think close to ten years or so. When he got to immigration, they reversed his 
his case, um, he had a, a, a cocaine case and they reversed it. But when he got to immigration, his mother had called again. Winston was another guy who I would send money to, money orders to, because a lot of these guys had no one who were sending them money for commissary. And because I was so successful in the music business and doing so good, I would go out of my way to guys who would write me, asking me for commissary. Even some of them, I didn't even know. There were some people I would send money orders to that um, would just remind me that I was with them when, when they were adolescent. And some of these guys never was home. You're talking about guys who had 25, 30 years, and they would tell me in their letters, hey, no one is sending me money. I don't have anyone. Um, you know, we've been reading about you in magazines. Uh, I hope you remember me. We were in the same, you know, housing unit or whatever, and I would just send money to them. So it was never something that um, that was out of the norm. It wasn't just for friends. It was for ever was really doing bad, knowing that I came from that kind of culture and that kind of environment. So it was almost my way, again, of giving back. So Winston was one of those guys who I would look out for and take care of while he was in jail. So his mother calls and he gets to immigration and asks, can I pay for a lawyer for immigration for, to see if he can come out? Because he don't know anything about Jamaica. He only knows about America. And so I agree. I paid for a lawyer for him. However, they still deported. In those days, I would occasionally go to Jamaica about three times a year because... They were a lot of guys, my childhood friendship, of my childhood friendship that I would, I would look out for in Jamaica. I would go out there sometime on my way from Haiti or to Haiti. I would stop in Jamaica for about a week or so or four days, five days, and I would make sure that these guys are right. Because most of these guys, like I said, were guys who never really knew anything about their homeland like Jamaica. They were adolescents when they got arrested mostly for serious crimes and they all would get deported so if I went to Jamaica I would go and meet up with some of these guys and make sure they was alright or whatever um, so one of the guys I put on the list was was Winston Harris so when I get to Jamaica and I'm talking to Winston Winston literally starts crying to me telling me that he doesn't know Jamaica. He really needs to come back to America. That it's like he's in jail, but he's just surrounded by water instead of walls. It really was touching to me, you know. So he said he needed some money to see if he can get back to America, and, and which I, I did give him the money, and he ended up making it back to America, but probably in about four or five months after I had seen him in Jamaica. So, naturally, when he gets to New York, he had nowhere kind of to live or to um, to work, to occupy his time. Told me he was going to get a job and so on and so forth. This call is from a federal prison. So, what I, what I did was I allowed him to stay at my office, to sleep at my office, and um, to get income legally by working, answering the phones, cleaning up the office, and things of that nature. 
when Winston got on his feet, he um, immediately went back to the streets. But, you know, as a guy who I know so long, so I didn't ostracize him. You know, I, I still would, would occasionally, he would come up to the office and talk to me. Him and Khalil um, had, had got together, and um, Khalil was giving Winston, um, he was giving them, giving them um, cocaine. That relationship kind of happened at my office because that's where they, they both met. So I don't know if it was an introduction that I did, but it, it, it definitely happened at my office of where they became friends. When I found out about Khalil, I immediately, maybe two days after I got the papers from Jeff Lickman, I called Winston and I brought him the papers and I said, this is a problem, but I don't see your name in it. Obviously, it's my problem, but I want you to know what's going on that it looked like I'm about to be arrested because look what Khalil had did, did to me. So, I, you know, Winston at that point, he asked me to drive him to the hospital because because he was a deportee, he didn't drive. He would usually take trains, a cab, and stuff like that. At one point, I, I drive him to the hospital. His mother had heart surgery. He begged me to come upstairs and say hi to his mother. And when I get upstairs, he tells his mother, he said, Mommy, do you know who this is? And she looks at me. I haven't seen this lady since my teenage years. And she said, this has to be Jimmy, the guy I called to help you to get back to America. The, the guy who paid for the lawyer, the only friend you got that helped you when you went back to Jamaica. That has to be him. And I talked to her for a little while and then I left. At that point, I'm looking to really figure out what I want to do with my life. Do I want to get on the run? Do I even want to turn myself in? Do I want to send my lawyer to go talk to the prosecutor? Because this, it's ridiculous that what Khalil did, it's obvious a setup. And they, they, I'm sure they know that that's what it is. But I'm, I know it's me. So I'm like, anything liable to happen with me, with, with, especially with Todd Kaminsky, this overzealous, you know, prosecutor that's on my tail for so long. So... I make up my mind that if they come to get me, or if I get a hint that they're coming to get me, I'm going to leave if I can get away. There are no friends in the drug game, I guess. And obviously with people like Winston Harris, for Jimmy, it was very personal, as Winston was an actual friend. It doesn't seem that Henry Butler or Khalil Abdullah had any real ties to Jimmy outside of cocaine. But the Winston Harris story must have hurt. And when you are sitting in a federal prison, these are probably the type of things that keep you up at night. And another note, Jimmy mentions being charged with 1,000 kilos of cocaine, which on the surface seems like a lot of drugs. And doing the math, 1,000 kilos on the street is worth about $3.5 million. Again, to the average guy, a ton of money. But drug kingpins? That is what they spend as throwaway money in one year. 